All right, we are back. And the music that Mr. McGrillan chose to start this topic with, of course, is completely appropriate for the obituary, which you are about to hear. Yes, we're quite confident he's burning in hell now. <laughs> you guessed it. The late Senator Jesse Helms became the late senator last week. The North Carolina Republican was, uh, was described as one of America's leading crusaders against communism, liberalism, tax increases, abortion, homosexuality, affirmative action, and school desegregation. And what a resume that is. Unfortunately for this nation, uh, Jesse Helms was called the patron saint of the new right and developed a national following during his uh, five terms in the U.S. Senate and uh, indeed helped set the nation's conservative social agenda. Described in the obituaries as a staunch opponent of communism, Jesse Helms sought to isolate Cuban leader Fidel Castro and refused to relent on the strict U.S. trade embargo of Cuba. And we've all seen, of course, how effective that was in bringing down the regime of Fidel Castro. Jesse Helms never seemed to have any trouble fundraising. In fact, he was one of the premier fundraisers uh, in the Senate. He was also considered tobacco's man in the Senate. He was a chairman of the Agriculture Committee, which, uh, from which he uh, uh, steadfastly uh, kept the subsidy uh, flowing to North Carolina and other states' tobacco farmers. Remember seeing him on one snippet interview, chain smoking, and describing how this program would not cost the taxpayer a dime. Let's see, what else did Jesse Helms do? Well, he, uh, he led a, a Senate filibuster against making the birthday of Martin Luther King a federal holiday. He defeated the former mayor of Charlotte, Harvey Gantt, in a, in a senatorial election, orchestrating his campaigns against the African-American Gantt to be about North Carolina values versus extreme liberal values. Helms made it clear where he stood. Helms was quite media savvy. He attended Wingate Junior College and Wake Forest University, but left before graduating to work as a reporter for the Raleigh News and Observer and editor for the Raleigh Times. During World War II, Helms served the Navy, but returned to journalism in 1948. He joined the staff of radio station WRAL, where he became the news and program director. He also helped start the North Carolina News Network, which was a statewide radio system. Jesse Helms's political career began in 1950 when he served as a top campaign aide to Willis Smith, a wealthy and openly segregationist Raleigh lawyer running for the Senate. In one of the roughest campaigns in North Carolina history, Smith used a series of race-based attacks to defeat University of North Carolina President Frank Graham. Helms later said he played no major role in the Smith campaign, but others insisted he was its chief architect. In 1960, he returned to the news business as executive vice president of the regional broadcasting company that operated WRAL-TV. He became a household name in North Carolina with his editorials on local news broadcasts. At 6.25 p.m., Helms would broadcast five-minute tirades against the likes of Chapel Hill intellectuals, the so-called civil rights movement, big government, high taxes, student protests, and the Kennedys. Jesse Helms was originally a Democrat. This is, of course, due to the fact that uh, for 90 years after the Civil War, you couldn't get elected as a Republican down in the, in the old Confederacy. The Republicans, after all, were the anti-slavery party. They elected Abe Lincoln, for crying out loud. But uh, Helms benefited by switching to the Republican Party in 1970, because by that time the Republican Party had pretty much given up having any effort in civil rights. 
Whereas the Democratic Party couldn't seem to leave the topic alone. Anyway, for decades, Jesse Helms was a malevolent force in American politics. And thankfully, now he's dead. And I have to admit, those are some pretty mean-spirited comments that I just made. But I don't know. I just about had it to hear with the mischief caused by jackasses like Jesse Helms. This country is in need of some change, and I hope we get it soon. I do have to sound at least just one one more sour note here in that John McCain claims he's going to get the budget balanced in his first term in office. Barack Obama says, well, he's not sure that's something he's going to be able to accomplish. Now, true to stereotypes, and the Democrats tend to be more free-spending, at least that's been the stereotype of the past many decades, but after being handed a $400 billion a year budget deficit by the supposedly fiscally conservative Bush-Cheney uh, administrations, Barack Obama didn't seem too concerned about fixing that. Not a good thing. Let's talk about some science, uh, science items. Uh, we mentioned many times on this program... Uh, the issue of what happened 100 years ago was on June 30th in 1908 that something large uh, struck the atmosphere over Siberia and blew up. Well, a couple weeks back on the anniversary of, the, of that event, some scientists joined by a member of Congress uh, drew attention to their belief that the U.S. is not doing enough to defend the planet against the dangers posed by near-Earth objects. Representative Dana Rohrbacher, Republican of Huntington Beach, joined a news conference of our good pals, uh, the Planetary Society, down at their Pasadena offices, and noted that we need to do more, something we've, we've stressed many times on this program. One thing that's sad to note, that, that the funding for the Arecibo Puerto Rico radio telescope which allows scientists to search for these near-Earth objects, is in danger in, of, uh, of being cut in next year's budget. Of course, the Planetary Society is absolutely behind this. Uh, we refer you to their website for more about this topic. But uh, they note in their literature that because of its 1 million watt transmitter and 309 meter aperture, it's 1,000 feet across. I saw this thing in Puerto Rico. It's huge. Arecibo is 20 times more sensitive than any other radar instrument in the world. Its radar signals are the only ones that can track most near-Earth objects on collision course with Earth. This would be a dumb thing to shut down, especially since its annual operating budget is just a few million dollars. And we should note by way of comparison that uh, if it's going to cost $3 million to keep Arecibo open, we're instead going to spend that in Iraq in 10 minutes. All right, let's do some medical stuff. Uh, apparently, Cipro and Levaquin, two uh, commonly used antibiotics in America, are now going to have what's called a black box warning. Apparently, those two medications have been associated with uh, tendon ruptures for reasons no one's clear uh, about. The FDA's action came after the consumer group Public Citizen petitioned and later sued to get such a warning. I don't know. Politics, meat, and science again. I, I, I hope that the data is good because those are, you know, uh, valuable antibiotics. And when the FDA slaps a black box warning on something, that usually means the use of it goes way down. And uh, speaking of speculations, we're quite intrigued by uh, uh, the article in the New York Times recently, noting that uh, at least one scientist out there, William Parker, researcher at, at Duke University, has proposed a possible <laughs> function 
for the human appendix. Dr. Parker proposes that the appendix may serve as a safe house for so-called good bacteria. In the event that a serious intestinal infection uh, wipes out your good bacteria, well, this, the appendix could serve as a hiding place for it, which would then recolonize the intestines after the illness was over. Parker admits he's never actually seen this happen, noting at this point, this is a deduction, but it does make sense. Oh, and uh, speaking of medications, there's some people out there that would like to take away a uh, Darvaset uh, from our medicine chest. Article written by Michael Wilkes, professor of medicine at UC Davis, and his inside medicine section in the Sacramento Bee talks about this. The medicine in question is Darvaset, a slightly different form, also known as Darvon. Darvaset uses Tylenol, and Darvon uses aspirin to mix with its active ingredient, propoxyphene. Uh, studies have shown that it's no more effective than a sugar pill. And according to Dr. Wilkes, experts suggest uh, that to, see, to treat serious pain, ibuprofen is far more effective than Darvaset. But here's the part. I mean, I, I, I've prescribed it. I, I've used it. It is not a particularly good uh, analgesic. That's true. But uh, I, just, I just have my doubts about whether, uh, whether, according to some studies in the past couple decades, that these drugs have been responsible for at least 2,000 deaths in the U.S., Anyway, personally, I'm not sure we should give up on, on Darvaset quite yet. It seems to work reasonably well for a lot of people, and, I, and I've used it on occasion and thought that it, that it worked for me. If you're elderly, you probably should use all analgesics, uh, at least some opiates, with caution. They can make you sleepy. And if you have some serious pain, it's, it's not the drug for you, I'll, I'll say that. But uh, we're going to have to talk in more detail in the weeks to come about an article in New Scientist about uh, what was described as the wrong kind of sugar. Uh, we are not fans of high fructose corn syrup on this program. And uh, some research done right here at the University of California at Davis by Dr. Peter Havel suggests that, uh, that patients that, uh, that ingested fructose versus glucose uh, wound up with more intra-abdominal fat. That fat wraps around internal organs, causes a pot belly, and has been linked to increased risks of diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Now, Dr. Havel's study involved pure fructose, not high-fructose corn syrup. So there's some wriggle room here for uh, the powers that be, but we're going we're gonna to return to this topic in the weeks to come. Apparently, the people that produce high-fructose corn syrup are going on the offensive, uh, to try and deflect the criticism of the people like Michael Pollan that talk about uh, our obesity epidemic in America and how having a cheap sweetener put in everything uh, uh, may be contributing. All right, we got about a minute to go, so let's close with the, the, uh, this item that uh, jackass comedian Sasha Baron Cohn of Borat fame has been in the news again. Apparently, crowds in Arkansas came for the lure of cage fighting and $1 beer, but police there say what they got instead was men ripping off each other's clothes and kissing. Apparently, the day after the June 5th Texarkana bout, Fort Smith, Arkansas's convention center hosted Blue Collar Brawlin'. Said Fort Smith Police Sergeant Adam Holland, organizers told him a character named Straight Dave would goad a planted audience member into the ring for a fight. Cameras caught the crowd of 1600's reaction as the two men went right up to the line of the city's morality laws, Holland said. According to reports, the two men stripped down of their underwear and then kissed and rubbed on each other. 
The audience, as well as local fighters drawn to take part in the show, became enraged. It set the crowd off lobbing beers, Holland said. They had beers in plastic cups. Those things can get some distance on them, actually. Sergeant Holland added that it took officers about 45 minutes to clear the convention center as the two actors sprinted away through a specially set-aside tunnel. Mark Laboff, a Los Angeles publicist for Cone, said he had no comment about the faked fights. But uh, news of these fights come as Cohen is in production of a movie titled Bruno, named after the gay Austrian fashion reporter he developed for The Ali G Show. I have to admit, he's giving me a hearty laugh now and again, but mostly I'd like to see Sasha Baron Cohen turned over to an enraged crowd of Arkansas hillbillies throwing beers and uh, stomping about uh, angry over the fact they didn't get a real cage fight. And God, one of these days, he is so going to get his ass kicked. Gee, but it's great to be back home. Home is where I want to be. Anyway, that's it for today's show. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time with an interview with James Kakalios about his book, The Physics of Superheroes. That's going to be a fun one. We'll see you then. Trouble boy, and now you're heading into war. It's 